What if you were better equipped to beat your best in any situation life throws at you? What if you were able to realize game-changing breakthroughs and achieve your goals fearlessly and without restriction? My mission is to help you level up your mindset to achieve peak performance so you can accomplish the most audacious goals you have in life and in business while embracing the highs and lows of every journey. To do that, I'm going to explore topics that challenge how you think and help explain why you show up in the world the way you do. By accepting the challenge, you'll think better, you'll feel better, you'll perform better every day. I'm your host, Dr. Ed Slover, mindset and peak performance coach, business consultant, thought leader, author, and award-winning educator. And it's a good day to do great things. This is the Quest for Life podcast. I was reflecting recently on times in my life when I experienced crisis or trauma and how that affected my mindset. The earliest experience I can remember was when I was three years old. I was going to be running errands with my mother. I had my shoes untied at the top of the staircase. She let me know, hey, Eddie, don't go down the stairs until I have a chance to tie your shoes. Well, I was really good at being three and not listening. Ended up starting down the stairs and fell all the way down and hit my back on the cinder block wall at the bottom of the stairs. Turns out that that night I had blood in my urine and that's a medical emergency. So my mom, dad, and two sisters, we all got in the car and went to the emergency room. And it was an unbelievably traumatic experience, even though that back in 1977, we wouldn't have referred to a fall like that as being traumatic. I mean, a gunshot was traumatic. Third degree burns from a fire was trauma. So a fall wasn't deemed as such, but that experience was over-the-top traumatic for me, and more on that here in a little bit. From that experience through age 12, I lived a nondescript childhood. Nothing overly traumatic beyond getting spanked or paddled occasionally, which certainly wasn't a crisis situation, although one of my rear-end cheeks always took the brunt more than the other, whatever my mom spanked us versus my dad. Even though my dad hit harder, my sisters and I always wanted our dad to spank us whenever that was warranted because at least he was symmetrical. But anyway, during the summer of my 13th birthday, my family learned my dad had stage four pancreatic cancer and he passed away on August 31st, 1987. Not only was learning that he was sick traumatic, and the, the subsequent years, given all the changes the family went through, it was a time in my life when I was in crisis. Specifically, I was in spiritual crisis, especially in my late teens and early 20s. In fact, I was in and out of spiritual crisis for most of my 20s, and it wasn't until my early 30s that I was able to move beyond it with God's grace. Now, you may be asking how this content relates to how you can level up your mindset to achieve peak performance. I'd be asking the same question. The answer is that we're spiritual beings and our spiritual health is every bit as critical to maintain as is our physical, emotional and psychological health. Said differently, it's next to impossible to maintain our overall health and well-being when one or more of the types of health physical, emotional, psychological, or spiritual is out of whack. And each one independently and in combination affects our mindset. If we're in crisis with any of them, our ability to level up our mindset is compromised. And as a result, performance inevitably suffers and not by a small amount. Let's get started. 
every spiritual journey, whether you're a believer in the God of any religion or an atheist, has its share of ups and downs. During the ups, we feel like we can conquer anything because we're filled with inspiration. The word inspire comes from the Latin word inspirare, which means to breathe into. So we're filled with the breath of spirit. During the downs, however, when things reach their lowest point, we experience spiritual crisis known as the dark night of the soul. The concept of the dark night of the soul was first introduced by St. John of the Cross, a 16th century Spanish mystic and poet. It's an idea related to a spiritual depression, which is part of many spiritual or religious traditions. For example, in Buddhism, it's referred to as, quote, falling into the pit of the void. Psychiatrist and author of Fulfilled, How the Science of Spirituality Can Help You Live a Happier, More Meaningful Life, Anna Usim, MD, describes that, quote, the dark night of the soul is essentially any time when our darkness comes to the forefront. It's as if we're doing everything we can to stay afloat, and it seems as though the universe, the world, and life is against us, unquote. Thus, the dark night of the soul often involves obstacles, setbacks, and suffering. It really sounds pretty awful and depressing on its face. However, Shannon Kaiser, spiritual teacher and author of Return to You, states that, quote, the dark night of the soul happens to guide us to find our purpose in life and is the breaking away from the illusions of fear and ego to shift our alignment and values to what is real and true, which is the connection to the divine, which ultimately paves the way for your life purpose and mission here on earth, unquote. It should be noted that there can be overlap between depression and the dark night of the soul, but there are also differences. The primary distinction between the two is that depression is a mental health disorder, whereas the dark night of the soul is spiritual distress. If you suspect that you or someone you know is battling with depression, seek help from a mental health professional. If you're interested in learning more about the dark night of the soul, listen on. There are six stages to the dark night of the soul. Stage number one is a major disruption or triggering event that you're unprepared for in some way that's largely caused by an outside or external event, such as an illness, betrayal, injustice, abuse, job loss, and or death of a loved one, as was the case with my dad. Learning that he was sick caused an immediate short-term disruption we immediately started the progression regression of the five stages of grief. Once we learned about his cancer, we immediately started with denial, but moved through that phase relatively quickly because how can you deny stage four pancreatic cancer? And then we got into being angry and eventually bargaining. And I was bargaining with God throughout, throughout that summer. And so it was this toggling back and forth between the, the stages. And then we entered into depression and then eventually acceptance once he ended up passing on. So that summer was highly disruptive in the short term. Well, I was 12 when we found out about his diagnosis. I turned 13 that summer and 
the teenage years for a young man are highly formative. It's the time in a young man's life where they grow closer to their father, because up until that point, they largely are attached to mom. And I didn't have that in my life. And that's not to feel sorry for myself as much as to state the fact that I just simply didn't have that in my life. And that led to a long-term disruption. So this triggering event of first finding out that he was sick and later him passing on was extraordinarily disruptive, both short-term and long-term. And some of the some of the unintended consequences of that was I eventually became a workaholic. How I coped with with the trauma of losing my dad was I found philosophy and I started reading philosophy and I, I found I was good at it. I was good with words and, but I was also angry and it was this combination of workaholism and then ultimately alienating pretty much everyone that came into my life. And it was, it was all grounded in the major disruption or triggering event that I was unprepared for. Now being a workaholic or alienating people. Certainly this isn't a comprehensive list you know, from my life, but rather it's illustrative of the types of uncontrollable situations and events to which we must deal that serve to trigger feelings of existential threat. These, are, these moments are so significant. The emotions are so intense. Our brain quite literally creates a neurochemical imprint that is extraordinarily difficult to move beyond. In previous podcast episodes, I'd reference the example of being on a hike and coming across a big cat. Well, if we come across a big cat, that's obviously a, an existential threat. And immediately our brain has a cascade of chemicals. Those are the emotions. And then we have an immediate feeling of fight, fight, excuse me, fight, flight, or flee. And Subsequent to that experience, provided that we survive the experience, whenever we think about that moment, we have this neurochemical flood, we start reliving the feelings, and our brains can't tell the difference. So when we're triggered, our brains release the neurochemical cocktail, and we feel the feelings we previously felt about the situation or event. The upside is with time and distance that the intensity of that tends to wane. So that's really all. Stage one. Stage two is a loss of direction and hope wherein the dark night of the soul sets in, leading to feelings of despair. At this stage, life feels meaningless, or at least the life you've been living feels meaningless. Think of it like an inverted bell-shaped curve. Rather than the peak in the middle of a normal curve, this stage is a journey to the depths of your own personal form of hell. And and you want to know, you want to know this because it's not yet rock bottom. I mean, and that's what sort of that, that's what the rub to all this is. It's not yet rock bottom, and that depth of that personal form of hell for me was not knowing how to cope and not knowing who to talk to when both of my sisters moved out. My mom got a full time job, and it was time to start her life, and she had every right to do that. And I became a latchkey kid, and. I, I was living very much in isolation. I fortunately found ways to cope by making sure I got my homework done and got to school every day. I don't know how I never got in trouble, really by the Lord's grace that I, I didn't get into any trouble, even though I had every opportunity to do that. But I didn't have anyone to talk to. And I didn't know it at the time, but it wasn't yet rock bottom. That's stage three. 
Stage three is rock bottom. And it feels like you're at your breaking point or you've reached your threshold of pain. In most cases, this is the darkest time in a person's life where you become emotionally numb. This is a time when you isolate yourself from family or friends to try to numb the pain with addictions. Could be drugs, alcohol, pornography, gambling, sex, food, binge watching Netflix. And of course, we know that any short-term respite or, or distractions from the pain you're feeling is in fact just that, short-term. This is the stage at which we experience maximal spiritual crisis. Let me say that again. Stage three is the stage at which we experience maximal spiritual crisis. In terms of leveling up mindset to achieve peak performance, it's next to impossible to accomplish that at this stage. There's simply too much pain or too much self-defeating behaviors. I mentioned being isolated. I hid in my basement for the better part of a year. I watched the movie The Predator every day for an entire summer and knew every line from that Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. It, 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 was, it was ultimately a self-defeating behavior, but tying back to stage two, I didn't really know how to cope. And now you're dealing with an angry young man who's willing to tear strips off of people. And it wasn't until my sister answered a really important, a, a transformative question when I asked, why don't we have a relationship anymore? And she says, because you're a jerk. And thank heaven that she did that because it pulled that out of my blind spot. But I, I was engaging in many, many self-defeating behaviors. The upside is that there's hope because stage three gives us valuable information provided that we're willing to look at it. And that's the need to change. It's the need to step up. It's the need to wake up. I got the wake up call from my sister. And from then on, things started getting better which moves us to stage four, which is waking up to the truth with the knowledge that there's light on the other side of hitting rock bottom. After all, the only way to go is up at this point, but it should be noted that you may experience physical symptoms such as stress, headaches, nausea, or body aches, and you may even experience psychological disequilibrium. The primary reason for this is that you need to address your spiritual crisis by going inward and connect with the greater meaning and purpose of your life. Let me say that again. You need to address your spiritual crisis by going inward. You're not looking for external things to validate your life. You're going inward to connect with the greater meaning and purpose of your life. And as you embark inward, the dark night of the soul accentuates what you need to release to move forward. And if you're willing to confront the, quote, root cause of the crisis, you have a shot at leveling up your mindset and transforming your life. I experienced this recently where I was really wrestling with God over a major decision to leave my my eight-year career at Grand Canyon University as a faculty member in the College of Business to pursue my consulting business. I was really, really wrestling. And my history with wrestling with God is, he's basically saying, hey, don't, don't, don't wrestle with me. Stop, stop pushing back. Okay, have it your way. And then I endure three years of pain. Well, for this one, for this particular moment, I stopped wrestling with God I was able to hear his whisper, and I'm following the pull because I was willing to go inward and connect with the greater meaning and purpose of my life, which brings us to stage five, which is spiritual study to find balance. And this involves a recognition that past circumstance 
and events happened and that there's nothing you can do to change them. I couldn't change my dad dying. I couldn't change getting divorced from my daughter's mother once that happened. You, you might experience getting fired or a betrayal. We can't change those things. What we do know with spiritual study is that we develop a newfound knowledge and it allows us to be more accepting. It's the proverbial is what it is. And what's interesting about this is that you'll likely be curious to learn more and be drawn to spiritual teachings or in some cases, organized religion. It's in this curiosity in and of itself that by definition, levels up your mindset, and when engaged in consistently, allows you to build or rebuild the life you want so you can live out your purpose. The final stage, stage six, is living authentically. Your experience with the dark night of the soul is ending. All that you endured, all that you've overcome, allows you to discover a sense of peace and understanding about the nature of spiritual crisis. At this point, it begins to feel as though you're becoming whole again, whereby you can see the bigger picture of your life and how it applies, how it applies to your own life. And the lessons learned by having navigated through each of these stage, stages shows up in how you interact with the world and the people who come into your world. For most of you, living authentically means not falling back into familiar habitual patterns of self-limiting or self-defeating thoughts, beliefs, or behaviors. Said differently, you'll be guided by passion and purpose. Now, I've related most of the first five stages almost exclusively to the death of my father. And while that was the most traumatic experience I've had to date, I'd be remiss if I didn't reference back to the fall I had when I was three years old and connect it to stage number six. In going through this experience, wrestling with God about leaving Grand Canyon University and pursuing Quest Consulting, I felt the need to have a conversation with my mother. And I got her on the phone and I asked her, what was I like before the fall? And because we didn't reference it back then as being a traumatic experience, and we have that recognition now, I, she did tell me that my behavior was different after I fell because my hospital experience was, it was, was traumatic. It was the first time I had felt fear. And I had, knew, I had known that information, but I asked her, I'm like, what was I like before that fall? And she said, Ed, you were the smiliest, most joyful kid I'd ever seen. And I needed, I needed to see him. I needed, and I asked her if she had a picture. I needed to see this person that experienced unbridled joy and no fear. And she sent me a photo of when I was two. And here's this blonde haired, you know, cute kid who is just over the top excited and seemingly loves life. And, and that all changed when, when I fell. And at the risk of making the latter part of this episode kind of touchy-feely, I'm, I'm now a firm believer that we can't level up our mindset to the fullest or even think about achieving peak performance if we don't or can't experience joy. I'm not talking about happiness. I'm talking about joy. Happiness is fleeting. Being happy is moment to moment and temporary. For example, you can be happy that you got promoted or that the person you wanted to ask you out asked you out. And then, of course, shift quickly to anger when someone cuts you off in tra traffic or someone says something critical. On the other hand, 
Joy is being content despite the struggles and adversity of life, however minor, such as someone cutting you off in traffic or someone saying something critical. Being joyful is the recognition of the toil and struggle you've experienced and having an appreciation for having overcoming it, knowing you, ha having overcome it, knowing that you're better for it. Enjoying life means that you can look at your past pain and accept that you, that you, what you experienced was a part of your spiritual journey and that you wouldn't be where you are had you not gone through that in the first place. So to summarize this, I'm convinced that to become the best possible version of yourself means finding joy in who and what you are and finding joy in your life. Take caution, however, as waking up to the truth from stage four and then progressing through stage six will, without question, upgrade your life from low resolution to high resolution. Think the old box TVs, the analog versus the flat screens of today that are, that are all digital. You will move from low resolution to high resolution. And as you begin facing the situations and events that led to the spiritual crisis, it may be easier to keep the neurochemical addi addiction going rather than cutting a new neurochemical groove, which, and let me be perfectly clear, is extraordinarily challenging and can be overwhelmingly difficult. That doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. That doesn't mean you shouldn't seek to live authentically. You should. And the reason why you should is, is that you, by not doing that, you're not giving the world and the people in your world the best possible version of yourself. And that does at minimum two things. One, you do yourself a disservice. And two, you do the world a disservice. And as spiritual beings, our assignment is to use the gift, the blessing, the blessing we call life to our fullest potential. Now, you might be thinking, but Ed, you don't understand and you can't possibly understand. I was born into abject poverty and can't find a way out. Or I was abused as a child. Or my husband or boyfriend cheated on me with, their, with my best friend. There, there's no changing it and I just can't and will never be able to find joy in my life. My response to any one of those is twofold. Number one, if you feel such a sense of desperation, I encourage you to seek out a mental health professional as you might legitimately be dealing with depression. And number two, you're right. You can't change the past. You can, however, author a different present to create a different future. Doing so requires one thing and one thing only, a decision. As we put a close on another episode of the Quest for Life podcast, reflect on those moments, situations, and events that rocked you to the core and how it relates to the dark night of the soul. Then ask yourself, have I navigated through each of the six stages and am I on the other side? If you're stuck at any one of those stages, ask yourself, what steps will I take to press forward? If you have been able to push through all six stages, in what ways does your life have greater meaning, purpose, and joy? I know today's episode was full of heavy content, but I thought it appropriate as another way you can level up your mindset to achieve peak performance. And as usual, it's food for thought, fellow questers. Be sure to follow or subscribe to the show and pass it on to a friend. You can download the show notes at thequestforlife.com. That's the quest number for life.com. 
You can also connect with me if you're interested in learning more about leveling up your mindset to achieve peak performance in all areas of your life. I look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for joining the conversation.